Guys of a Certain Age is brought to you by no one. Absolutely no one, except these dudes walking down memory lane. Now let's head to the studio to see what they misremember next. It's two of the three musketeers. It's Robbie Koblenz, guys of a certain age, in studio alongside... Porcos. Who? Porcos. You know, the fifth musketeer. Okay. Por- <laughs> Porcos? Yeah, it's... Uh, Is that like tacos with pork in it? It's Porthos's, you know, chubby brother. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're here. Art is not. He's uh, traveling back from the, the epicenter of grunge and coffee. So And can- the Museum of culture it, yeah he sent, sent back some some scenes from that interesting photos including a life-size cutout of wonder woman as portrayed by gal Gadot. <laughs> that was from the comic book store was that the comic book store <laughs> it was equally interesting it, it seemed I mean, yeah pretty cool stuff in there i'm gonna try to get a forbid i'm supposed to bunny our as we're recording this we're supposed to go to uh, new york in the next day or so are you gonna go to midtown uh well there's midtown forbidden planet also forbidden okay. planet has a uh, has a shop in manhattan as well so that should be fun what 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 sh- what musical should i go see jay bonnie wants to go see something on broadway do you have oh, any gosh do you um, have any recommendations well I mean, if you haven't seen hamilton that's i don't i guess assume it's still playing i don't know it is but bonnie's not that interested seen. yeah i'm not up on the musicals right now so some know. like it hot was a recommendation so Schmigadoon uh, is not uh, no. actually playing on Broadway. I, I was remotely interested in the Back to the Future musical. I think that would be fun. Yeah, I don't know that I can make that happen with the criteria that has been set before <laughs> me. So, But uh, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Well, you got to have trade-off. If she's going to let you go to the comic store or two, you, you probably need to let her have some decisions. I'm taking her to New York. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm just not a New York City, a big New York City fan. How often have you been? Mm, three, four times. Uh, oh, okay, that's right. You went a bunch when uh, Mark was doing stuff up there. I haven't uh, been but once, aside from airports. Yeah. Mark was uh, was quick to mention that he was the reason we went to New York City um, previous times. Mm-hmm. So, But I'm, I'm a big Chicago fan. Okay. Well, and- my wife is from New York upstate and we went to new york city with the family one summer and it was interesting i'd like to go back i Um, would i would i would really like to go to new york around christmas time that would be fun so that that's to me would be kind of like the ideal time i've got one of my texts is going to uh, new york during uh thanksgiving i'm gonna go to the macy's parade so fun i guess that's pre pre pre-holiday or yeah but that's kind of the kickoff of the right of the holiday season but just to see the lights and the the rockefeller center all that yeah yeah. oh that would be good so but anyway it would be cooler than it is now in our current state well i look it's supposed to be in mid 80s up there and uh like true mid 80s Mm -hmm. like real feel heat index all that humid instead of humid yeah true mid um supposed to be 85 86 something like that which i can handle it's going to feel like a a, a ice box compared to what we're in right now <laughs> and it's supposed to get down into mid 60s at night oh that'll be nice it will be, be nice, nice. Yeah. And, and that's the deal of course welcome to the south if it just cooled down at night mm-hmm. here it would be but it's staying in the seven oh yeah several nights last week i went outside in you know after dark and dark is late you know yeah. here and and i'd still come back just my head just moist sweat just ridiculous Jay with a moist head. 
All right, let's. Uh, we're gonna. That's the word people don't like to hear. On, moist on the radio. Is it? So we're gonna jump. So we're gonna do geeks, then we're gonna do um, uh, replay the interview that um, Jay and Art did with Zach Ashmore. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, geeks of the week. What you got, Mystery? Oh, we get to go first. Then I, I well, don't have to choose between the. There's three. not Art here to jump in. Well, I'll bring this up. This may be um, a, a good group discussion, but the Loki trailer. Uh, That's aired. my geek of the week. Well, I'm thrilled that you gave me first uh, yeah. first shot here. Well, let's just talk about it, and then I got a couple other things that we can talk about. What did you think about the Loki? Um, it looked, or are you excited about it? Uh, you know, Loki and Ahsoka are the only two series I'm pretty interested in. I'm not still Secret Invasions finished up two weeks prior, and I still have not watched the uh, finale of it. So, uh, Loki looks great. Great cast. Oh yeah, um, short runs in it. I just that's first person yeah, in the trailer. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Short runs sure in it has another name, but that's yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it to me, this is going to be integral to the uh, um, moving forward of the Marvel Phase Five because mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors is still in it, who plays a variant of Kang the Conqueror, right? Which is very interesting to me because of the legal problems that the problems that Majors having. Mm-hmm. They're kind of all in on him at this point. I mean, can you recast Kang the Conqueror? I don't think you can yeah. this far deep into it. Um, but it looks like a lot of fun, and I love seeing all the variants. Um, you know, I really like the first season of Loki. Mm-hmm. My thoughts, and it and it dropped, well, it, it's going to drop, what, October 6th? October 6th, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, but what do you think about it? I, I think it... You know, it goes back to the, what I say a lot of times with, you know, there's there's a lot of time travel. And I realize that the whole thing is with the time, the TVA and all that. So it is a theme. It's not like just jumping into the multiverse and time travel to, to make something work out the way you want to. But the cast, I think, will make it. I love Owen. Was Owen Williams? I'm, yeah. Okay. And, and Tom Hiddleston and... Um, I'm kind of wondering, you know, Short Run kind of had a reemergence uh, with everything always all at once or whatever the name of that was. Everything everywhere all at once. That one. Yeah. Um, and well, I wonder what's hello. He won an Oscar. Right. I mean, he reemerged with 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 a, with, with a plum with, with thunder. So was he already cast for that? I wonder before he got his Oscar, or did they say like, hey, this is. It, he, I would think he was probably cast because every everything everywhere all at once was very very popular and that probably led to this role and then he got an Oscar as right you know, right so so I think he'll be great in it I like the other folks in it I'm sure there's some that we haven't even seen yet that will pop up um, but the yeah I think they will make it it looked I love the look of it the timeline of it you know the sort of the back in the twenties look or whatever maybe yeah, even that retro. Back. Retro future look, right, right. So is it with the kind of almost is it cyberpunk? Is that kind of the Wild Wild West thing? I mean, it's not quite there, but you're looking. I think instead of cyberpunk, steampunk is what you. That's looking exactly for. what I was trying. Yeah, to say. Steampunk. steampunk. Yeah, so it sort of has that vibe a little bit, but um, yeah, I think it will be. I will definitely watch it. I figure I'm. I'd put money that it is better than secret invasion although i enjoyed secret invasion it was not at the top of my list and we'll talk about that on another episode but but i think loki will will top it Uh, it's it's gonna be um i'm looking forward to that like i said in Mm -hmm. ahsoka i've got something else here i can throw in for geek of the week so uh i'm reading i'm reading i'm reading uh hold on post malone 
has uh, acquired the Magic the Gathering card of the One Ring of Power. So it's the rarest card in the in the Magic the Gathering wow. ecosystem. Um, it's a special serialized variant copy of the set's card for the One Ring, but there's only one in existence. Guess how much he paid for the One Ring? Oh. Two million, I'm betting. Two million dollars for the card is what published reports are. And there is one. There's one. And who had it before that? Like, was it a um, some kid who got it in a pack that just said, "Hey, I'll put this on eBay and see if I can get two million. I don't know. I don't see any of that. Uh, oh, from that collector, Brooke Trafton, who revealed the purchase in a post on X, which X is now t- Twitter is now X. Uh, platform previously. I haven't been on Twitter in a while. I didn't realize so, it. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the guy got it and he sold it to Post Malone for $2 million. Yeah. I have some valuable cards. Not like that. Not like that. Not interested in that. You'd have to find them, right? And then find a seller. There's a lot of work involved. This, this finding the seller is the key. So, or finding you, a buyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found the seller. He's right there. Yeah, I found the seller. Uh, have you got any plans to, to start sifting through your valuables and maybe finding homes for it via no, monetary contribution? Not anytime soon. No, I'm just, I mean, it's all input now, not output so far. <laughs> the equation is unbalanced. It's, uh, it's input yeah. side heavy. Well, you know, at one point I said, well, maybe this is helping my college education for my kids, but they're they're all it's already educated through. now, yeah. so so, what's, so maybe I can just, uh, maybe it'll educate me in some way, but nah, it's, it's I'm going to hang on to it for a little while. See, my kids probably will not want them, so I will need to do something with them at some time, but... I, I can tell you a, right it's now. It's not a high priority. Your kids don't want that. Right. I'm I'm quite sure of that. Yeah. yeah. At all, period. Yeah. So, what else you got on your well, uh, just list a, of news? One and little thing we didn't mention about the Loki trailer was it is the highest uh, watched trailer for a Disney Plus series ever. 80 oh. million views. And that was probably yesterday's information. So, over 80 million views. The highest watched trailer. Most watched trailer ever. The other information that I came across was Gal Gadot is apparently talking to Gunn and Saffron about the third Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so you don't know. I mean, it's not in the list of what do they call Gods and Monsters? Is that the new series that's yeah. coming out? Um, but, I mean, she's saying that they're talking. I guess Patty Jenkins is not in the loop at this point. But, because um, I guess she was in Shazam and she was in Flash, but not in Flash like she originally was. Yeah. Um, an alternate ending that she was cut out of, but, but at least they're talking about it, which I'm glad. I mean, at least it seems like, I mean, I really like her as wonder woman. Um, I'm sure there's somebody that could do it, but I like her. So I would like to see her continue. And James Gunn, that's all you need to know is Jay likes her. So that's right. Get her working. Of course, nobody's working now because the, uh, the strike still. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The, even the interview it said was recorded before the actor strike. Of course it was, because they can do no press. Unless Ooh. you're Stephen Amell, who, yeah, who played uh, who played Oliver Queen, Green Arrow in the Arrow series. He came out and basically said, "I support my union, but the strike is ridiculous." <laughs> and so his Star series Heels uh, premiered like a day or two ago, mm-hmm. season two, as we're recording this. And so you cannot promote your any 
thing you worked on, but he would take selfies with billboards in the background and post <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. Kind of got around it a little bit. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in Gal Gadot's case, I mean, she's not really promoting a movie that is done yet or yeah. even is a sure thing. So it would, you would think, I mean, she's promoting the franchise, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then just this is—I don't know if you ever saw the movie. I did not. Uh, called Sucker Punch. Um, I'm familiar with Vanessa it. Hudgens and there's uh, Abby Cornish that's in uh, Jack Ryan season final finale season four. Yeah, a um, couple other names you probably know. Is not something I watch. It's directed by Zack Snyder. Exactly, and he's yeah. talking about maybe doing a Snyder cut. Of course, of Sucker Punch, which only apparently got, I guess, Rotten Tomato twenty two percent, so it's not a highly anticipated. Yeah, <laughs> but I guess he had an alternate ending as well in mind, and and he's kind of throwing it out there, something he might do, which who knows what that would be. Yeah, you know, that had a real similar visual style to three hundred. Okay, and um, so yeah. it looks interesting, but it's something that is not currently streaming free. So I'll probably wait for that. There you go. You won't <laughs> be you won't be suckered into paying right. for it. If right? he does the uh, Snyder Cut, I'll I'll pay the two ninety nine and watch the original first and compare. But yeah, there you go. Until that day. Well, after the break, uh, we're going to revisit our interview with Zach Ashmore. I should say your interview with Zach Ashmore. That is correct. So you guys both read his book prior to him coming on, right? Right, and I'm not sure what stage it's in actually now because it's been a while since we talked to him. But he was in sort of beta reading time, and Art and I both read a couple of different versions of it and and then talked to him about the process and sort of the genre, and um, it was fun. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, we'll bring that up next. Hopefully, all three of us will be back together. We may have to play the reunited thing. And we're back. And on this half, we're going to be talking to a friend of mine, a co-worker, Zach Ashmore. And Zach is joining us today. A little bit about Zach, first of all, before I let him speak into the microphone. Zach does work for Agricultural Communications, part of Extension Service here at Mississippi State University. He's a video editor. He's a video graphics designer and also part of the Farm Week crew. That's kind of a recent thing for Zach, at least the past year or so, maybe the past couple of years, Zach. I think this is the beginning of my third year. Third, beginning of the third year. Also, Zach is a very talented drummer, a harmonica player, a blues harp guy, a singer-songwriter, a member of the band Stormy Monday, and I know you do some other musical things as well. Uh, got I've some heard albums them play. out. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, in fact, I saw Zach uh, on a WCBI commercial just the other day. They're still running that promo where they've got you singing on a. Uh, it's a Stormy Monday set, and you're sing- they've got a tight of you singing uh, uh, on the microphone there. Uh, speaking of microphones, Zach just reminded us that he uh, also does a weekly radio show, right? We. So yeah, it, uh, well, here in uh, Starkville, Mississippi, we've got this, uh, uh, we have our local radio station here on campus called WMSV. Uh, you could find it online if you look for it, WMSV. And on Sunday evenings from 6 until I think midnight, they play nothing but blues music, and they call that show The Juke. And I host the first two hours of it, and I'm playing more modern blues, modern, the kind of what I like to call a toe-tapping blues, which right. is veers into more rock influences or funk influences but it's still straight it's still blues still it's straight just, ahead blues yeah it's just contemporary blues so many different forms of blues so yeah that'd be great uh, we'll have to tune into that but with all that said uh 
that's not what you're here for. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we want to talk about Zach Scott. We were wondering, is it a novel or a novella? At this point, it's a novella. Uh-huh. However, uh, y'all are in, uh, this is very interesting for me, because, and I'm sure it's interesting to y'all, because you're catching me still in the process of writing this book. Yeah, well, that's what's kind of neat. So this is kind of a, a look ahead of what's coming out, I guess. Yeah. Y'all have read the third draft, which is the complete story. Okay. And right now I'm in the process of writing the fourth draft, which will be novel length. It'll be a short novel. But okay. It's, so it's not going to be, you know, a 500-page you know, doorstop, but it's going to be a novel, just a short one. Right. And it is a low fantasy novel called Wolf Slayer. Okay. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. All right. So Wolf Slayer is about the, uh, well, what I'm hoping to do is make it a series of of books because I've always been interested in, uh, I guess you could call it good old fashioned adventures, right? Yeah. And it's about the adventures of a young man named Rowan Drake. And so the book title, the book series, kind of similar to that, uh, what is it? It's a modern fantasy book, uh, Harry Dresden, The Dresden Files. Oh, yeah. You've probably right. heard of that, yeah. where it's a whole series of adventures that uh-huh. Harry Dresden goes on. It's a similar concept. It's a whole series of adventures that Rowan Drake goes on. And each of the novels is titled by a title that he gets during the book. So the oh, first okay. book is titled Wolf Slayer. Because that's, that's a title that he obtains okay. during the book. And since y'all have read the, the draft three, which, uh-huh. since y'all have read the third draft, you, you guys know how he got that title. Yes. We won't spoil anything. Oh, well, yeah. We won't go into too deep We'll give, you, we'll give you some good teaser information. Oh, yeah. yeah the Which, title is pretty indicative, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that. I like the fact that you it, uh-huh. the, the book isn't trying to pretend to be something it's not. It's not trying to be deeper than something it's not. Yeah. What I set out to do when I wrote the novel is just create a good old-fashioned adventure, Some, mm-hmm. something in the vein of the old pulps, something in the vein of, say, Star Wars, yeah. something in the vein of old fantasy stories where, you know, there's things can be things can get complicated, but at the same time, it's just a fun ride. One thing that I like, though, and I'll uh, just uh, jump in real quick, is that as I was rereading it. Um, I was struck again by how the fact that you think you're going somewhere, you think there's a, a maybe a stereotypical kind of hero or villain or whatever in there, and you've twisted it. You've got turns in there. For example, Rowan is, and I don't think this is giving too much in the way. No, you're not. It's not afraid to be a, not afraid to be afraid. I mean, he expresses yeah. that he has fear, and it's not done in type in some type of comic relief type of way. It's a very real thing. So I think that you know, even though you're saying you're not getting deep, I think you you touch on some things. Your characters have have three dimensions as opposed to just two, which sometimes is the case with some of these things. Well, I found that uh, because this is the first book I've ever set out to write. Even though I've read many books in the past, uh, I've been an avid reader for many years, and I've been studying film and books and how the story process goes for a long time as well. And when you get into the writing process, unless you want to write a book that's really short, you have to flesh these things yeah. out. You know, you have to think these things through. Mm-hmm. And that that sort of makes it easy to make fleshed out three-dimensional characters because sometimes you just have to sit and think, well, why are they doing this or that? Or how would they truly feel in this or that situation? And one of the things about Rowan is he's 17 years old. Yeah. I still remember being a Uh 17-year-old. I remember the awkwardness of being a young adult still trying to find my way in the world. And I wanted to reflect that in the main character to make him realistic because that's one of the things I was trying to go for. I know I mentioned earlier that this book is low fantasy, yeah. and y'all wanted me to explain yeah. what low fantasy is. And, well, it's pretty simple. Low fantasy is it does take place in a fantasy world, 
but there is very little magic. There are no wizards roaming around casting spells. There's whatever magic there is or whatever fantastical creatures exist are either rare or hardly ever seen. For the most part, it tries to reflect what life was realistically like in the medieval era. Yeah. And basically the the time period I'm dealing with here is somewhere between the mid and high Middle Ages. Okay. Somewhere in that okay. time period. I'd say somewhere around the 14, maybe 1300s. Yeah. So Middle Age sort of things going on and dress and and yeah. the way, you know, obviously no technology, but 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 yet at the same time some of the the steel work and those kind of things that you talk about, I guess, would be technology at the time. Yep. But you say it's in a different world, though. It's not supposed to be anywhere that we would recognize. That's correct. I mean, granted, the world— Seems wor- familiar, but not familiar. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, uh, like a lot of typical you know, fantasy, especially Western fantasy, it takes place in an amalgamation of, uh, that, of medieval Europe. Okay, Where right. uh, the kingdom that uh, Rowan belongs to, uh, Argomer— Mm-hmm. The name keeps changing. I keep trying. I keep changing the name. I think it's. Well, I think it's. I think it's Argomer now. Yeah, I, um, I know how that is. But your naming is very good too, and that's a tough thing to do sometimes. Is come up with uh, with names that feel real but still have an element of, of fantasy about them. So that's a great. Yeah, and is, and is that from period research? Like the names that you came up with, are they completely from your head, or did you like see that in other similar things in other reading of similar time periods? And, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, a lot of these names I did come up with in my Obviously head. Obviously Rowan. I mean, I know people named Rowan, but yeah. there's other names that I don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of the names do come from the period, but that, but here's the thing. If I truly went period names, the names would actually be more similar to what you would hear in Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay, okay. gotcha. Because some of, those na- some of the names back during that time period, especially if you're incorporating, say, uh, Wales or, or or Welsh mm-hmm. Welsh legend and uh-huh. Welsh names, man. If you've seen what some of some of these Welsh words are, it, yeah. it'll it'll throw your head yeah. <laughs> through a loop. So I decided I wanted to, and that's that's no that's I'm not picking on the Welsh there. They've got some. It's just a yeah tough. They've, they've yeah their their, their language tough is language. tough, man. Yeah. But but they've got some fantastic stories and mm-hmm. legends. It's just their language is tough to get through sometimes. I mean, I believe in Wales is the longest village name in the world. Yeah, and I don't well, e- I don't even know how to. We're big it. in Wales, so we want to make sure <laughs> we don't ostracize those three guys. Well, I mean, the, the, the truth is that the Welsh get a lot of grief from the uh, from the English, uh-huh. so I don't yeah. want to add on to that. Yeah, that's right. So the, I, I think the Welsh look at I think, think the English look at the Welsh like the North looks down on us here in the South. Yeah. So, that's right. Yeah. You had some other questions about some of the names or some of the... Yeah, some of the, like the creatures, we won't get into all of them, but you mentioned, I mean, it's about a wolf. We know there's wolves involved yeah. and in dire wolves. And I've seen dire wolves before in other works, but is that something that, you know, is that a common sort of an animal that... Uh, in fantasy, I'd say, yeah, it's it's... It's common enough, although direwolf really is the working t- the working name for those because, to be honest, it's kind of overused in uh-huh. fantasy literature. So, I'm trying to find a better name for okay. them. Okay. Um, like uh, case in point, I know you mentioned earlier uh, the gavir. Right. Yeah, that was going to be what I asked next. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the gavir is an interesting creature type that uh, is based off of. The idea of a talking lion, which I'm sure if you've read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, okay. you've probably uh-huh. seen that. But I wanted to give my own or watch Rudolph. Exactly. <laughs> I, I wanted to give my own little twist on yeah. it. So the mane is not 
that of a lion's mane. Mm -hmm. The mane is more like that of a horse. Yeah, I saw that last night when I was looking through it again. And uh, so that's a great twist. I mean, that's uh, because I do not, I did not picture uh, the Narnia. Oh, I didn't Aslan. Yeah, Aslan. When I I think about when I saw yours, I mean, I'm I'm seeing a very different character. And like I said, I'm able to see, you know, mentally so much of what you do because your your stuff is descriptive. And I think that horse's mane was a great touch for that. I I like the look of that uh, because I could visualize it in my head. And something I intend to do when the book is finished, I do intend to do some illustrations that showcase. Oh yeah, we got to mention uh, Zach's also an artist as well. Uh, Well, I got to make use of my fine art degree somehow, right? That's right. So So the Gavir though, he I couldn't find anything. You can look up Direwolf, and there's other other mentions of it. But the Gavir, I'm a pharmacist on the side. You know, my my, my side hustle is a pharmacist. And uh, when I looked up Gavir, I found an antiviral drug. Yeah. So is that something completely your own? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gavir, uh, well, it's based off of uh, fantasy creatures I've seen in video games when I was growing okay. up. Uh, but it's not entirely the same. Okay. Yeah. And That's so cool. in, in the culture of the Gavir, I dive a little deeper into in, in the uh, this fourth draft okay. here. But essentially, their culture is they're animals, but they're smart animals. They think like animals. So they they measure wealth in terms of territory and food. Yeah. They don't measure wealth in terms of money and power. Right. See what I'm saying? Right. And, they're bar- and they do actually have a barter system. And I think I, I may or may not yeah. have brought that up in draft the three. The yeah. Yeah. So their barter system is through boons, which are favors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how they trade. They trade favors. They don't trade money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was fascinated by his character. I think maybe that was one of my favorite characters. In the yeah, book. I really like that character. Everybody too. tells me that because I, of the way he interacts, and, and it, like you were saying earlier about Rowan having you know feelings of a sixteen-year-old and, and not being afraid of being afraid, yeah. that kind of thing. The Gavir, you you kind of want him to be this hero, but he's also kind of like being real. Like I'm I'm going to help you, but yeah. But Again, the, to me, that speaks to a lot of the the three dimensionality of the characters because it's not just a all right. This is a a bad thing. This is a good thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know. So there's a little bit of a you know c- complexity to the to what's going on there. Yeah, also yeah. speaks to your world building because the idea is what's the backstory of mm-hmm. the beer. You know what what how did they you know. Uh, Evolve. What was their what was their relationship with uh, humans? You know, throughout time or whatever. Well, the, the answer is they they try to leave each other alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. essentially that's what it is. The Gavir yeah. essentially live in the wilderness, live in the wilds, uh-huh. and go, going back into uh, since this is something you're going to find out in the first chapter once you read it anyway. Uh, Rowan's parents are, you know, soldiers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and his father is essentially this world's version of what. You know, you would consider a ranger from Lord of the Rings, right. except they actually do have a settlement, a permanent settlement they mm-hmm. lived in. Going back to what you were saying about where the names of things come mm-hmm. from, the uh, name of the settlement in Draft Three is Highwood, right. which is a, which is a very that, that's a that's a pretty standard name. Mm-hmm. Well, I was visiting my uncle this past uh, fall of during uh, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and there was a road that I saw the name of it. And I was like, that is a great name. I want to use yeah. it. And mm-hmm. the name of the road was Pinecroft. Oh, that was like, good. Yeah, that's a great um, that's name. Do, yeah. I'm changing Highwood to Pinecroft, okay. just like that. <laughs> yeah. That, it, so in draft four, Highwood's called Pinecroft. How so long you have go. you been working on this? Oh, let's see. I started the world building back in high school. Okay. Okay. Um, but, but here's the thing: going back into what inspired me to even get into doing this stuff in the first place, I was a very dorky young kid. Mm-hmm. Played lots of video games. Did did a I, I touched with Dungeons and Dragons a little bit, but I really couldn't find a consistent group or anything. Yeah. So I only barely touched that. Played a lot of EverQuest when I was in high okay. school, and uh, and 
generally really enjoyed high fantasy at that point. So when I first started working on this, it was a high fantasy with wizards and magic okay. and fantastical things happening all the time. But as I got older, I started getting into uh, stealth video games and okay. and other more realistic, grounded things. I remember there was a fantasy simulator I played the heck out of a, out of called Mount and Blade, and I and I I'm play I still play the uh, sequel Mount and Blade Bannerlord. Wow! And it is no fantasy. It's just it is fantasy in a sense that you're in another world, but there's mm-hmm. absolutely no magic whatsoever. Okay. And the lives of everyone and the way you go about things is very much similar to how it was back in that time period, approximating, you know. Yeah. So it's it, that is what you would call incredibly low fantasy. Yeah. And, See, and I appreciate that. And Art will testify, even when we talk about, you know, the MCU and what happens in Marvel movies, you know, there's some of them are just full of magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Doctor Strange, obviously, that kind yeah. of thing. And that's okay, but I prefer the lower the more grounded the lower fantasy <laughs> MCU movies. Yeah. So I like the idea that there's a little bit because it kind of takes you somewhere different than than you are. I mean that's what happens when you read in a lot of times you wanna you wanna get away. Yeah. And so it takes you just far enough away from reality to to be away, but not so far that you know every problem is solved by magic or every yeah, problem is have created rules. by magic. You've got to have rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you've, you if you're you know sitting there and you know well somebody can just snap their fingers at some point mm-hmm. and everything's going to be okay, right? It, it takes away that um, you know that element of danger, right? And that to come full circle to the Gavir, I think that that's the impression I get with his character is that you know it's not just all you know honey and roses. It's going he's not going to do everything that Rowan needs. But he'll make a deal. He'll change. He'll trade those boons with him, and and help him out. And you know, we'll see how it works out in the end. But yeah, I, I liked the idea of writing a story that made sense, where mm-hmm. everything ties together in a nice bow at the end. Because, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and bash uh, other writers because that's just I don't like the idea of doing that. But I have found that in a lot of movies, and TV shows, and even books these days, that a lot of the story is basically an and-then story. So this happens, and then that happens, and then that happens. And it's not really tied together as Mm -hmm. well as it used to be. Or maybe I'm just looking at the past with rose-tinted glasses. I'm not sure. Point being is that I see a lot of storytelling these days, and I walk away going, you know, I I think I might have been able to do a better job. Well, you may not bash him. I've I've been on record before (laughs) as as not being a huge George R.R. Martin fan. Uh, I've I've read... um, I think th- two or three books that he's written. I know I've written at least uh, read at least two of them. I think he does a great job with character development. I think he does a great job with world building. But his stories seem to be like, okay, I'm going to set you on this quest, and when I run out of things for you to do, I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to read uh, those books, the uh, Song, of of Ice and, and, yeah. Song of Ice and Fire books. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you love those books... Great. Yeah, and people do, and mm-hmm. I. Yeah, Robbie Clearly, loves, they do. Yeah, I. I don't. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that I dislike George R. R. Martin. Yeah, it doesn't mean I dislike the books. I will say, based on my history, I don't like stories that rely so much on negativity. Mm-hmm. And I. And yeah. I, I hate to go so far as to say that his stories are nihilistic, but I'm not the first person to say that. Right. And like I said, I. I certainly admire what he's done. Oh and yeah, same appreciate. Here. But uh, but I'm kind of the same way too, and especially I think as we get into more. The idea that uh, you know, reading 
seeing movies as well are, are an escapist kind of thing. I think we've got enough negativity in the real world. So it's kind of nice to see something that's hopeful. And I felt like your your story certainly had that feeling to it, which I appreciate. Definitely. And you've just hit on one of the main reasons why I wrote the book the way yeah. I did. Because mm-hmm. originally when I set out writing this book, the very first draft of this was more of that dark fantasy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, be, because here's the thing. Yeah, like I said, uh, I'm not going to bash George R. R. Martin. He does a great job at writing dark fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's just dark fantasy is not my thing. Yeah. Uh, however, there is still a slightly dark edge to my book in a way. Yeah. And, the, and it comes from this, going back to inspirations. When I was in probably late high school, there was a video game series that you may or may not have heard of called Thief. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was Thief, then Thief the Dark Project, then Thief Deadly Shadows. I played the heck out of Thief Deadly Shadows and loved the main character of Garrett the Thief so much that a lot of that inspiration behind Garrett the Thief went into Rowan. Yeah. Whereas Rowan is, I guess you'd call a classic hero in that he tries to do the right thing. However, you'll notice in the book, he takes things from a different perspective. He's not the knight in shining armor who's going to ride in with a sword and right all wrongs. Right. He takes things from a more stealthy perspective. Okay. He operates on the more, you know darker side of life in, in a way to get things done, mm-hmm. in case you hadn't noticed. I yeah. mean, there's a scene where he has to rescue somebody, and he goes about it in a very stealthy fashion. Yeah. He doesn't do it in a, I'm going to ride in with, with the troops right, and, and right. rescue yeah. you. Over from the darker version of this story, uh, I remember I started writing it, and it, was, it, was, it had gotten really dark. There was lots of nasty things happening, and it got to a point that I started getting I'm trying to find the nice way to say this. I started getting the I'm a bad person chills, yeah. if you know what I'm talking yeah, uh-huh. about. The I, I don't like this. I'm reading this, and it's making me cringe yeah. because I'm trying too hard to be dark. I'm uh-huh. trying too hard to make things edgy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I gave up. Right. I initially gave up. I started writing this book like seven years ago, mm-hmm. and I got as I got really deep into the story and and said, you know, I don't like where this is going. I'm just going to stop and give it a break. And I never came back to it until five years later. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, and then I remember I was reading a – I was listening to an audio book. It was – oh, what what is the name of that series? Uh, Oh, gosh. If I could just remember uh, – You fit fit right in with us, by the way. (laughs) It's called Expeditionary Force. Oh, yeah. Expeditionary Force. I listened to the audio book of that. Uh R.C. Bray narrated it. He did a great job on that, by Uh the way. R.C. Bray is a great voice guy. Um, But I remember listening to it because a buddy buddy and I were on a long-form trip, and we were listening to the audio book. And I got hooked. And I said, you know, this is just a good old-fashioned fun adventure series. And I said, I want, I want more of this. Right. And I went back and went back to my book just on a lark just to read through it. It's like, well, I started writing something that was intended to be a fun adventure. Let's just – just on a lark, let's just see what I did. Yeah. Because I know I gave up on it and realized, eh, I'm just, not, I'm just not cut out to be a writer. And then I started reading it, and I said, you know what? This, this writing is really not too bad. I mean, the, the writing style isn't too bad. I'm, I'm finding myself getting engaged in this yeah. story. It's just the story itself that needs to be changed. Okay. So let's take another crack at this right. and make it nicer. Yeah. And that, that essentially is what came about I with the I think that's new such an story. important thing, too, in any kind of creative endeavor is not to have your stuff be too precious and be able to come back and look at it and go, okay, there's 
there's some seeds of some good stuff in here, but I can throw away what doesn't work and start over. Exactly. You know? So it's. I think that's a, that's a. That's, that's a hard very, even as a nonfiction writer. I feel like yeah. sometimes every it's, word it's I write is do, precious. But I think it's one of those things where you got to come back and say, okay. I mean, sometimes it, you ha- the the perspective of of time past helps a lot too. But uh, it's a hard thing to do because you you do kind of take ownership. I'm going. Oh, this is right, and then you go. Well, maybe it's not right after all. Maybe this would be better. Because, like I said, I think. That's one thing that appeals to me about your story so much is the hopefulness of it. And like I said, not that it's not set in some dark mm-hmm. things happening, but it's not overwhelmed by the dark things, and neither is Rowan. I was really happy about the fact that it is, as as a good old-fashioned adventure does, it has a little bit of everything. It's yeah. got action, adventure, horror, romance. Yeah. It's got a little bit of everything yeah. on it. Yeah. I mean, while, while not trying too hard to delve into those territories. Right. Now, I remember you were asking me earlier about my uh, inspirations. And yeah, what influences, I yeah. Influences. And, well, this book I'm I holding s- here is called Daily Life in the Middle Ages by Paul B. Newman. I did a lot of research uh-huh. uh, to try and make this world fleshed out and realistic. I've got, like, seven or eight books on what life was like in the okay, Middle Ages. Okay, great. As well as, and you might appreciate this being a pharmacist, because uh, Rowan, I know in the book, I can't remember if I had already changed it to him wanting to be an alchemist or a apothecary. Apothecary is what you have now. Good, because that, yeah. that, that's where that's what it's going to stay, because alchemist just sounds too fantasy. Yeah, I can really relate to that. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah, he has the Jay skills. wants to play him in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the skills. He doesn't have the 17-year-old look, I know, but... Uh. <laughs> well, I could be the mentor. I could be yeah, the one that's go. doing the improvement. Okay. Play his uncle, you Uncle Cecil. There you go. Yeah, I could see you playing Uncle Cecil. I like Cecil. Uncle Cecil. That sounds good. That would be yeah, a cantankerous old uh, apothecary. Yeah, <laughs> not not too old. He's probably in his forties. I, so. I noticed there were the the range of what is old, and because even the uh, was it the Lord or the Duke one was in his forties, an older man in his forties. I'm like, wait but a that's second. A, but that's what that's <laughs> true to that time. But in the Middle Ages, yeah. that probably was. Yeah. And I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Um, No, that's fine. It's fine. Uh, So you'll get a kick out of this. I actually have – I also have bought and have read through books on apothecary. Okay. uh, On herbalism and uses of real-life herbs. So case in point, that medicine – that Rowan makes made from the mushrooms. Made the only thing that doesn't exist in that in in that are the mushrooms themselves. Okay. okay. So the mushrooms only exist in this world, but everything else is actually real apothecary uh-huh. techniques, like the healing salve uh-huh. that he uses to that he makes for himself. He uses a dried version of those mushrooms, which mm-hmm. when you dry something, it tends to enhance it. Right. Enhance its uh, qualities. Like home- so, homeopathy. Exactly. Okay. So he's using real apothecary-type techniques to make these things. So mm-hmm. there's that touch of realism, mm-hmm. but just a touch of fantasy, too. Right, right. And I, that's what I like about that's, – that's something I like about this world is that there's a lot of realism and a touch of fantasy. And an example I like to give – is that uh, in the chapter right before Rowan goes to hunt some wolves, and he and it's it's kind of a throwaway line, but it does help build the world a bit. Before he walks into this forest, he mentions that the uh, that there really are very few sticks on the ground. The far the forest floor is pretty clean, mm-hmm. despite the forest being still overgrown and wild, because commoners are not allowed to cut down trees without permission, but they are allowed to collect whatever uh, fallen wood there mm-hmm. is. Yeah. That's true. Okay. That was like that was what it was like in the Middle Ages. You had to get permission to cut down a tree. But you could gather. You could gather as much fallen uh-huh. wood as your heart's content. Well, that's great. That's so. a great touch too. That's just a, a great detail to have in there. I think too. That's a, those are the kind of things that, as you were saying, Jay, kind of give it that grounded thing. So mm-hmm. there's there's enough real. 
there's enough reality to it so that when you do venture off into what's not real, it gives it you know that much more credibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember people saying you've got to establish your ground rules. I can't remember where I read this. It might have been in On Writing by Stephen King, or uh-huh. probably with somebody else. But uh, you have to establish the ground rules before you break them. Okay. And although I'm not a big fan of breaking ground rules too much, yeah, because I'm a firm believer in art through adversity or art through limitation. Uh-huh. Mm. Or yeah, so if you establish a realistic world, it forces you to keep your story within a realistic context. Right. And the truth is there are so many realistic scenarios and and situations that occur, you know, in everyday life that you can make something out of that even though you've limited yourself to low fantasy yeah. in this case. Magic is not going to save the day. A character's cleverness or ability to you know, endure through certain situations or find other ways to, to solve problems, that will win the day. Yeah. And I think that forces you to create more compelling characters and more clever characters. Not yeah. that I'm bashing people who don't do that. No, but just that's saying. just where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a, yeah. that seems like a real valid place to be. What are your plans for distribution or publishing? Well, once I finish the book, I intend to look for a publisher. Likely what I'll probably need to do first is look for an agent uh-huh. and then see if the agent can get it published. And since I intend to make it a series, series are popular these days. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and give you a hint. The, the name of the next book is Rowan Drake Apprentice. Okay. Okay. And we'll just go from there. I've actually written the first chapter, the first draft of the first chapter of the second book. Okay. And, uh, and, and do you have the title? You mentioned earlier the titles have to do with what he has become. Do you have a set? Beyond that, already in mind. Oh yeah, I have okay. title. I have titles, titles in mind beyond that. So okay, okay. I, I can't remember the order right now, but I think the third title might be Troubadour. Okay, because okay. It, it, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll take uh, you take small elements of what makes the character who they are, and then because it's no secret that what I'm writing here is a series of the adventures of a medieval spy. Yeah, that's what Rowan is intended to be at uh-huh. some point, and it, 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 so that's the overarching story that will be going on. The overarching story, he's going to be that guy that gets things done from behind the scenes using the stealthier ways of life. Okay. And so originally the book title was Agent of the King. Okay. So that just go from there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll I'll be interested. Good luck getting it published. I look forward to seeing it published. I've enjoyed being able to read these drafts, and hopefully you'll share draft four with us as well. <laughs> of course, of course. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a series I would want to read. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I, this yeah. is something I would, and, you know, have adaptations of it in TV, and uh, Jay's going to be playing Uncle Cecil, so we got that to look forward to. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I really want you to keep us up to date on what happens with that. Yeah, I, I did want to mention that, that uh, there are a lot of elements in this that I thought were were interesting twists on the uh, fantasy genre, yeah. such as the uh, such as the idea and of the shield maidens. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, something I've actually gone into a lot of depth thinking about, and I've changed them to being a religious martial order called the Order of the Aegis. And okay. Aegis means shield. Okay, right. Yeah. So uh, the idea being a martial order of uh, it's it's actually based on it's, a, it's actually a religious martial order similar to how the Knights Templar were technically a religious right. knightly order. Yeah. The Order of the Aegis is a religious knightly order of all women. That's very cool. So they're basically warrior nuns. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's very cool. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what the sword maids are gonna become. That, 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 that's essentially what they are now. I just don't do as good of a job of explaining it, but in okay. draft four I do. Okay. Okay. And it okay. also brings to the fact that Rowan's mother is a retired shield maiden. Mm-hmm. She used to be one, 
and uh, then she retired and mm-hmm. left the order to be with her to be with his dad. Yeah, like a nun would have to leave the order to, exactly. to marry right. as okay. well. So because as a shield maiden, she's not allowed to, you know, marry and have mm-hmm. kids. She, right. they, they are supposed to be chaste because they're nuns, okay. warrior nuns. Wow. So. I, I, I like. Don't have a lot of books in, with, with warrior nuns in them. There's really not enough. <laughs> well, the truth is that shield maidens aren't all that common in this world, unless it's wartime. Yeah. Uh, the the and I and I keep trying to come up with. She's the one that taught him how to fight, so he fights like a shield maiden. Oh, and okay. Shield maidens don't fight the same way men do. They don't use brute strength because they can't. Mm-hmm. Instead, they use uh, their agility and speed. And I remember you made a note of that at yeah. one point in the story. Yeah, I remember that. They use agility and speed. And they use they tend to use weapons that require momentum to deliver powerful blows, as like a like a uh, what is it like a, a sword staff, you know. So whereas you can hold the end, swing it around, and really hit something, or you know spears and things like that. They're skirmisher type fighters. I feel like we could talk to Zach for a while. We'll need to wrap yeah, it up. Yeah. But one thing I do want to ask, though, is are you creating a Bible, as people do for these things in the world, or, you know, that so you'll have, so you can go back and look at, um, you know, references or whatever. Okay, this is this is what this character does as you go forward. I, I've not done that, but I know people that do that for, or will the first book kind of serve as that, and then as you build, you'll just kind of develop it that way? That's a really good question. Because it's a bit of a hybrid at this point. Because yeah. yes, the first book serves as a bit of a Bible for it. I'm certainly not going to go so far as to write a Cimmerillion type thing. Yeah, right. uh, But I do have notes that I, uh-huh. that I can refer to that's mostly just bullet points. Like, yeah. this means this, this means that, uh, this does this, this does that. Uh, you know, I've got bullet points on uh, the entire uh, structure of nobility. Okay. So what a title is and what you have to do to get that title, because it's not entirely anagal- uh, It's not entirely the same as it was in our uh, in the real world. Yeah. But it's similar okay. enough that I have to make notes on on how to how to differentiate. how to, how to make that happen. Like, yeah. what's the difference between a duke and an earl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or what's the difference between a lord and a duchess? I mean, yeah. And what point, is it? At what, what is point it? do you become a commoner? Yeah. I, that, yeah, that was a big sort of theme in the book is the the difference between the commoners and the the nobles. Yeah, what's your station in life, mm, exactly. and how did you get that station, and what do you have to do to have that station? So, uh, I do have a bit of an explanation on that. Although I will point out something that's not similar to the real world is that the line between commoner and noble is not as cantankerous in my in my world as it is in that one. And there's actually a story behind that, and that will be revealed in the second book as okay. to why okay. the nobles and the commoners tend to get along a lot better in this world than they did in the actual Middle Ages. It has to do with the, the history of the actual ruling royal family of Gladro. Okay. Something On that note, we're going to wrap it up. Oh, yeah. I can tell we could go down another <laughs> rabbit trail here. But, Zach, thanks for coming on. Uh, we want to have you back. I mean, you're you're not of a certain age. You're you're much younger than we are. <laughs> but you certainly are a guy in every sense of the word that we define it, I think, in terms of what your interests are. And um, I want to hear more about this book. And, we, you know, keep us up to date on that, too. But there's a bunch of stuff that you do I think we could talk about. So maybe we'll have you back on again if you, if you join us. That'd be great. My mother I'll have always, your agent talk to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> my mother always told me I had an old soul anyway. So. Oh, yeah. That's go. right. I know what you mean. Uh, all right. So on that, we'll wrap up this episode, this Robbie-less episode of Guys of a Certain Age. And next time we're together, we think we'll reveal where Robbie's been all this time. But thanks for joining us and uh, be back with us next time for Guys of a Certain Age. You ran 45 minutes. Never let it be said I'm the reason we ever run late. <laughs>